Today we're continuing our series on a renewed vision for 2020 as we celebrate our 30th year of ministry here at Christ's Covenant. And so far we have considered a variety of topics as we've sought the Lord to give us a renewed vision. And this morning we come to one of the, possibly one of the most important topics of all, and that is a renewed vision for the gospel. Now to gain a renewed vision for the gospel, we have to start by answering the question, what is the gospel? Now, of course, the word gospel means good tidings or good news. The gospel term is used to describe the main message of Christianity. It's the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe upon him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? Amen. This is the gospel message of salvation that we are commanded to preach to the entire world, that God's righteousness has been earned for us through the work of His Son. The message of that God actually demands perfect obedience from us, which is something that we cannot provide. So God, knowing our weaknesses, sent His Son to do what we could never do, And then he pours out the perfect accomplishments of Christ upon us through his Holy Spirit. That is the gospel. Now compare this good news to trying to earn God's favor through living a good life. I mean, how good do you have to be? How disappointing would it be for you to finally get to heaven and and find out that you, you, you weren't let in because of one point. You missed it by, by one. You see, the good news is we have complete, absolute confidence to know that Jesus has done all things. And so we don't have to worry about that. And just compare this good news to those who follow mysticisms and man-made religions in this world. There's absolutely no comparison to the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ compared to any other man-made religion, philosophical thought, or way of life. I've always summarized the gospel in the phrase, I can't, but Jesus did. What I mean by that is I cannot obey God perfectly, but Jesus did. I cannot provide an atonement or forgiveness for my sins, but Jesus did. I cannot reconcile my relationship back to the Father, but Jesus did. I cannot make myself a child of God, but Jesus did. But the other side of the gospel coin is I can't, but Jesus can I cannot prevail against sin and temptation, but Jesus can. I cannot walk in the Spirit, but Jesus can. I cannot serve the Lord in holiness, but Jesus can. The gospel truth is that only through Christ giving me and you the strength and the ability can we truly bring pleasure to God. I can't, but Jesus did. 
I can't, but Jesus can. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the source of our salvation, but it's also the source of our sanctification. What I mean by that is that through Christ, our sins are forgiven. Amen? Amen. That's salvation. But also through Christ, we are enabled to live for the glory of God. That is our sanctification. And our focus this morning is to gain a renewed vision for the gospel. And I first want to start by asking you, do do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that you can't, but Jesus did? Do you believe that you can't, but Jesus can? I'm asking you to Examine your heart to find out if you're truly resting in the accomplishments of Christ alone for your salvation and resting in Christ alone for your sanctification. It doesn't have anything to do about you and your ability. It has all to do about the glory of God demonstrated in the person of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today... I pray that the Holy Spirit will convict and convince you of your absolute need for the righteousness of Christ and that you will trust in Christ alone for your salvation. Secondly, I want to challenge us to consider what we believe the the gospel can do. Basically, I'm asking us to examine our expectations of what the gospel can do can do in our lives and our expectations of what we believe the gospel can do in others. This morning I want to talk to family, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to ask you, do you believe in the power of the gospel? Do you believe that the power of the gospel is able to transform people's lives? Or have you settled for a weak gospel, a cheap grace that presents Jesus Christ as just an option on the spiritual mortgageboard set before us? I realize not everyone's conversion experience is the same, but mine was dramatic. Many of you have heard it, but I want to share it again. I was raised in a Christian home. Great parents, great family, but in my later teenage years really began to rebel against God and against my family. Basically, I just wanted to sin. (laughs) That was my main objective. What do you want to do when you grow up? Sin. That was it. (laughs) It wasn't a hard decision for me. But the problem was, is even though those were just a few short years Sin was wearing me down. And I decided to go talk to my father. I don't know why. I hadn't spoken to him for months. I guess it's the Holy Spirit leading a sinner to discover grace. And when I sat there in the living room of that home, sharing to my father all my problems and all my situations, he said to me, Brian, the only answer for your life is Jesus Christ. Now, I had grown up 
hearing that all my life. But on that day, it was like a spear that was plunged into my heart. That day, June 16, 1976, 43 years and eight months ago, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. The power of the gospel changed my life. I entered into a new orbit. I started walking a new path. Christ was in me and I was in Christ. I was a, a new creature. The old things, they passed away. Behold, all things became new. As one author writes, the gospel is the chariot wherein the spirit rides victoriously when he makes his entrance into the hearts of men. And I can say to you on that day, June 16, 1976, the Holy Spirit rode the gospel chariot into my heart, put on the brakes, and parked it. I wasn't perfect. I'm not perfect. I had to grow. But the fact is, I was different. I was a new person because of the power of the gospel. Simple words that my father said to me. For you, it might have been a vacation Bible school or maybe a youth retreat, possibly a conversation with a friend or a family member or a business associate. Maybe you don't know the date like I do, but the fact is there once was a B.C. in your life before Christ. And the power of the gospel rushed in, rode the chariot into your heart put on the brakes, and parked it. Thanks be to God. Once you were lost, but now you are found. You were blind, but now you see. Thanks be to God for the power of the gospel. Amen? Now the Apostle Paul writes, and this is our main text this morning, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now, before we consider this verse more deeply, I, I want to read for you another vo- a verse, actually a group of verses. And if you hang with me here, I, I'm going to make a point. Uh, everybody who is alert and paying attention, say amen. amen. Okay, that's pretty good. All right. I think I just won the caucus. All right. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irrecyclable, and you get it, malicious gossips, Without control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Quite the list, huh? (laughs) So the apostle is talking about this period of time between Jesus' first and second coming, as we know as the last days. So we're living in the last days, the same as the 
Christians in the first century was living in the last days. And this is quite the list. And when you read this list, well, you, you say, well, this is the apostle is just referring to the radical decay, decay of morality and morals in the world as the Lord tarries. Uh, uh, the apostle is talking about the people out there, not us nice people in here. But then Paul finishes the list telling us that between the days of the first and second coming of Christ, the last days, that there will be a people who are holding to the form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Holding to the form of godliness, although they have denied its power. It seems to me now that the apostle ain't talking about them. He's talking about us. That as the Lord tarries, there will be people who hold to the form of godliness, but they deny the power of. Now, some of you might think it's strange that I'm preaching about a renewed vision of the gospel. Some of you might be saying, well, Pastor, you're certainly preaching to the choir today. But, you know, when I put these two verses together, it frightened me. One, the apostle says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of, of God for salvation. And the other, he says, but in the last days... There will be those who will hold the form of godliness and although deny its power. Are, are, are we those people? Can it be that we hold to a form of godliness but deny the power of the gospel? It's frightening to think that we could actually fall into this, this, this spiritual slumber where we would hold on to forms of godliness but deny the power of the gospel. But the apostle is saying that that's a, that's a possibility. We, we have to examine our hearts. Are we the people who say we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God? Or are we the people who are holding to the form of godliness while denying its power? Which one are we? Which one are you? And that's why I want, us to, I want us to examine our hearts this morning and ask the Lord to give us a renewed vision of the gospel. Again, the apostle writes, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to, then to the Greek. For the apostle Paul, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the power of God. Amen. The gospel is not some advice suggesting people lift themselves up. The gospel is power. The gospel lifts them up. I didn't need my father to give me some good advice, even though my dad's always given me a good advice. I needed my father to share with me the gospel. Because only the gospel was going to change my life. For the glory of God. 
Scriptures like he brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock to stay. My footsteps are firm. He called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. These are scriptures that talk about the power of the gospel. The gospel does what we cannot do. Paul does not say that that the gospel brings power. He says the gospel is power. And this is written in the present tense, this phrase, the gospel is the power of God, which implies continual power. The point that the apostle is making is that the the gospel is God's continual omnipotent power for the believer. The power of God for salvation. It's not just a once in a lifetime experience that you can mark on the calendar of June 16th, 1976. The gospel is an ongoing continual power of God to save and to keep us steadfast until the end. Amen. And I'm here to tell you the gospel will never lose its power. Why? Because it is is the power of God. And I don't know if you've connected the dots yet, but God is eternal, everlasting. So the power of God through the gospel is eternal and everlasting. It's yours. And it's a continual source of salvation and sanctification for the believer. But it is the power of God. And what I'm suggesting this morning is that I think the apostle tells us that there's a possibility that as the Lord tarries, we could fall into a spiritual slump. We're we're just going through the motions of Christianity. And by going through the motions of Christianity, this form of godliness, we we start denying the Gospel is the power of God. We start denying that the gospel can change my life. We start denying that the gospel can change someone else's life. We start to deny the power of the gospel. While the Bible tells us the exact opposite. The Bible tells us that there are no incurable cases that the gospel cannot penetrate. Amen? I mean, just look at the book of Acts, where we see Jews from Africa to Asia, as far as Mesopotamia to Rome, after hearing the gospel, surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. What do we learn? We learn that the power of God through the gospel breaks down cultural barriers. And then we read on and see that an Ethiopian eunuch, a Roman centurion, a Philippian jailer, who after hearing the gospel, all surrendered their lives to Christ. So what do we learn? We learn that the power of God through the gospel breaks through pedigree, positions, and, 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 and prestige. And then we, we see that there were Jewish priests and rabbis and idol worshipers, and even those who practice witchcraft and magic, that after hearing the gospel, surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. What do we learn? Is that the power of God through the gospel breaks through religious barriers and backgrounds all the way through. We see the gospel is divinely powerful for the destruction of barriers, For everyone who believes. Amen. 
Only the gospel has the power of God to impart spiritual life. Only the gospel has the power of God that it's able to overcome our tendencies, to our natural tendencies to commit sin. The, the Bible makes it clear that, that we cannot be spiritually changed or saved by good works, by the church, by being raised in a God-fearing home, by religious rituals, or by any other human means. Only the gospel has the power to save. Amen? Only the gospel has the power to overcome. Amen? Only the gospel has the power to atone for our sins. Amen? Only the gospel has the power to, to satisfy divine justice. Only the gospel has the power to meet God's requirements of the law. Only the gospel has the power of God to rob death its sting and the grave its victory. Thanks be to God. Amen. The gospel. Not some theories or theologies. But the gospel. And what I'm suggesting this morning is that there's a possibility that we have lost our vision for the power of, the, of God to be displayed through the sharing of the gospel. Maybe we have allowed ourselves to become intimidated by the world's philosophies, persuaded by the words of the world or worldly opinions. Maybe we've lost our vision or the gospel. Story is told about the great British pastor and preacher Star Charles Spurgeon, who wanted to test the acoustics of a large auditorium where he was going to be speaking that evening. And stepping into the, point, the pulpit of this abandoned auditorium, he loudly proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Spurgeon, satisfied with the acoustics, left and went on his way. And unknown to him, there were two men who were working in the rafters of that auditorium, and neither one of them were Christians. One of the men was pierced to his heart by that one verse that Spurgeon quoted, and he became a believer later that day. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit can use one simple sentence of the gospel to draw people to Christ. Brian, the only answer for your life is Jesus Christ. One simple sentence. You don't have to be a theologian or a scholar. You don't need to know which end of the Bible is up. Just the gospel. I have a friend who is a pastor over in the west coast of Florida who became a, a believer through reading the New Testament. A person gave him one of those little pocket New Testaments, you know, the ones you need a magnify glass to, to read. <laughs> he was a young man and he played the drums in a rock and roll band. And so he decided to stay behind his drum set during the breaks and start reading that little New Testament. And after several evenings, he surrendered his life to Christ. 
The Holy Spirit can use the smallest of gifts to bring people to Christ. Giving someone a, some scriptures when they're going through certain problems, giving someone a Christian book, giving Christian books to your nieces and nephews and grandchildren for birthdays and holidays. The Lord can use the most simplest gifts to draw people to Jesus Christ. You see, God's word has a penetrating power. Amen? And this is the reason why the apostle was so insistent upon preaching the gospel. Because he knew it was the power of God for salvation. I just want you to listen to these words that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, which for a preacher like this, like me, always makes me very comforted. But anyway, that was a joke. Um, not really. Um, all right, I'll start over. Uh, I... And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not of persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. And so when we read words like this, where Paul says he came in the demonstration in the, of the spirit and power, we, we basically would interpret that to mean that they had a Holy Ghost time, right? There was like people slaying the spirit and all sort of wild things going on and all sorts of spiritual craziness happening, demonstration of power and of the spirit type of thing. But when you look at the context of the verse, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It has everything to do with what Paul believed about the message of the gospel. He says, I didn't come to you with this, all this wisdom, persuasive words. I came to you with the gospel. Because I wanted the power of the gospel to penetrate your heart. Because I wanted you to know that, the, the, that the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Amen? Amen? Paul believed that the word of the cross is the power of God to work, work faith in a person's heart. And we should too. We should believe that as we share the word of the cross, share the gospel, that God will use it to work faith in a person's heart. We, we should believe that God will use our simple words and our simple gifts to bring people to himself. We should believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And we should expect people to believe. Amen. Not just some form of religion, but the power of it. 
Paul tells us in the verse prior to our text this morning that he was eager to preach the gospel to those in Rome. Paul was eager to share the gospel, uh, the power of God to the most powerful city in the world at that time. He was eager to share the gospel with the Romans. Why? Because he knew the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Brothers and sisters, sharing the gospel is like one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Paul knew that the gospel of Jesus Christ, it rescues people from guilt, from the pollution of sin, from slavery to sin, and alienation from God. And we should too. He knew that the gospel of Jesus Christ brings people into a state of, of righteousness and holiness and freedom and an everlasting fellowship with God. And we should too. As we ask the Lord to, for a renewed vision of the gospel, I, 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 I want to tell you we should be eager to share the gospel with this type of spiritual expectation. That people will come to saving faith. Paul says in the text, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now he knew, as you read Paul's writings, he knew that there would be some people that would consider the gospel foolishness. Probably the majority of people would consider the gospel foolishness. But he knew that those who were being called, they would, be, they would consider the message of the gospel of Christ as... Christ crucified as the message of God, the wisdom of God. Listen, we don't know who the called are. God knows. That's the reason why we share the gospel with all, to everyone. Because those for whom God will work in their hearts, they will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and they'll believe the message of the cross is the wisdom of God for them. Amen? This word ashamed is associated with being afraid, feeling shame, which prevents one from doing something. It's a reluctance to say something or do something because of fear of humiliation. It's, a, it's the experiencing of a lack of courage to stand up for something. And I think we can all confess that we've all experienced that type of reluctance to share the gospel at one time or another to certain people. And the text that I just read to you, the Apostle Paul admits that when he preached the gospel to the Corinthians, he did it in weakness and fear and in trembling. But notice Paul would not allow his own feelings to hinder him from preaching the gospel. Paul believed more in the power of the gospel than he did in his own power. Do I have to remind you what Jesus told us? Quote, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes into his glory. It's frightening. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to share the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God. Brothers and sisters, we cannot be ashamed of the gospel we, 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 have to, we cannot set aside sharing the gospel out of some sense of fear or personal reluctance. 
before, if, because if we set aside the gospel out of some sort of fear or reluctance, we are setting aside the weapon that is divinely powerful for the destruction of strongholds in our lives. If we set aside the message of the gospel, we're setting aside the weapon that God has armed us with, which is divinely powerful to destroy strongholds in the lives of our family members and our friends, our neighbors and our associates. We must ask the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts so that we would be unashamed of the gospel. As I was preparing for this sermon, I came across a a note that was found decades ago in a desk of a pastor who was martyred in Zimbabwe in southern Africa more than a hundred years ago. This note is known as the Fellowship of the Unashamed. And I want to read it to you this morning, asking the, the Lord to renew our vision for the gospel. The fellowship of the unashamed. Quote, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die is cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of him, of his I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm finished of low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on His presence, walk by patience. I'm uplifted by prayer and labor by power. My pace is set, my gant is fast, my gold is heaven, my road is narrow, and my way is rough. My companions are few, my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, and meander at the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up. 